Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. I'm Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. The topic for this episode is lake and pond management. We'll be talking about techniques to manage your community's lakes and ponds. We'll touch on why aeration is important for your lakes and ponds, controlling harmful algal blooms, weed management, and erosion control. My guest today is John Phelps, an environmental scientist with Solitude Lake Management. John has over two decades of experience in water and land management throughout the Delaware, Pennsylvania, and the rest of the Mid-Atlantic. John has worked on major land development projects, conducted threatened and endangered species surveys, and played an integral role in efforts to reduce nutrient loading and sustainably manage harmful algal blooms in community lakes and ponds. Welcome, John, and thank you for joining us today to talk about these important issues concerning lake and pond management. Thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you back. We've done this before. Um, Different topics. So let's start with aeration, which is important for lakes and ponds. Um, Tell us why it is important for lakes and ponds, and, and does it help control aquatic weed growth? Yeah, aeration. It's a wonderful first topic for today. Um, First and foremost, good aeration is going to help the life of fish and um, macroinvertebrates living in lakes and ponds. Uh, They all both have certain uh, requirements for to be in a healthy environment and supplementing aeration for a lake or pond can help the life of fish and macroinvertebrates. can also be helpful to um, increase aerobic enzymes to live in water bodies, which can over time uh, help reduce nutrient loads as well as help reduce the nutrients that possibly aquatic weeds are using to grow and thrive. So in a way, good aeration can help reduce unwanted aquatic weed growth. How would a community or or an individual tell which aeration solution is right for their particular water bodies? Yeah, uh, it's not the easiest thing. It's probably best to work with a professional uh, like some of the aquatic specialists at Solitude Lake Management. You want to have uh, the right aeration type um, and things like depth and volume of water um, as well as power requirements and um, you know, safety of a pond or lake should be considered uh, before selecting the right type of aeration uh, unit. So the topic of harmful algal bloom seems to have been in the news a lot lately, especially in in Florida. Uh, I'm sure it happens elsewhere. One of the the aeration techniques is referred to as nanobubble, which is a term probably most people are not familiar with. Uh, is that used to control harmful algal blooms and, and the resulting toxins? It can be. Uh, nanobubbles is a relatively new technology for the aquatic world. It is a technology that's been used in other applications. Uh, but nanobubble is a new service that Solitude Lake Management will be uh, offering. We provided a webinar a week or two ago. You can check us out on our website. Uh, but nanobubbles basically is, you know, if you can picture subsurface compressed aeration, a very standard aeration type, uh, nanobubbles is like 
a hundred times uh, more effective than subsurface aeration. So, you know, I say it's like aeration on steroids. And um, it's, it's a way to really jack up the dissolved oxygen. And it, nanobubbles can have an, a wonderful effect on harmful algal, algal blooms. Um, HABs are something to be aware of. They are everywhere. Uh, they're naturally occurring. Um, and, but there are many tools, nanobubbles being one of them, to help control them. Let's talk for a few minutes about nutrient remediation. How, how would one determine if their water body needs nutrient re remediation? Are, are nutrients a good thing? Sure. You know, there are uh, classifications of, you know, the levels of nutri nutrients, specifically in a water body. Um, eutrophic is a typical term where it's kind of like the middle as far as how many, how much nutrients are in a pond. And then you can get a spike in nutrients. It's typically called hypereutrophic, having too many nutrients. So, sure, we're having some nutrients, phosphorus and nitrogen specifically, can be a good thing in a pond uh, for good plant growth. Um, as nutrients compound in a water body, those levels can get extremely high. And that's where you find problems with algae blooms. Um, and unwanted plant growth because those nutrient levels are so high. So on visually, you can sometimes tell if a pond or a lake had very high or hypereutrophic status. Uh, you know, it could be extremely covered in algae or weeds. That would be one indicator. Uh, but the best way to understand the eutrophic status of your pond or the nutrient levels would be to capture a water sample. Uh, you know, Solitude can provide those services. Are all nutrient remediation products the same, and are there any downsides to using them? They're not all the same, and um, there's not many downsides to using them. Uh, for instance, Biochar would be one name brand, <clears throat> an excellent uh, nutrient remediation product. It's also helpful with uh, unwanted bacteria. <clears throat> but things like Foslock are specific to phosphorus remediation. Um, the only downside really is cost. Uh, some nutrient remediation products specifically uh, do come at a premium cost. Uh, they, those specifically are very effective though. Okay. Uh, what about dredging? Does nutrient remediation help prolong dredging of a lake or a pond? Sure, it can. Uh, nutrients uh, are locked up in detritus or organic material. And by doing a nutrient remediation, either through some of the specific nutrient remediation products or some of the biological control products out there, you can accelerate the decomposition of that organic material, that detritus, and essentially prolong the need for actual physical excavation of that material, also called dredging. Are those processes normally done together, dredging along with nu nutrient remediation, or should they be? No, they're you typically it's one or the other. So dredging would be an activity where nutrient loads, sediment loads, detritus loads are just too high, and there needs to be a quick reduction uh, by physically removing that material. Nutrient remediation is typically done as a uh, goal uh, for long-term results, and it's typically one or the other. I want to ask you a couple questions about aquatic weed management. How can I tell the difference between beneficial plant species and, and nuisance or invasive weeds? That's a good one. I've spent 
many hours doing training uh, on plan identification um, and it's still a difficult task for me sometimes identifying certain species in the field some invasive plants true invasives and some natives have some similarities there are certainly some species some invasive species that are very easy to identify as being invasives Bragmites being one primary common reed uh, that is very invasive uh, a very tall um, common reed that we see that can just completely create a monoculture that's typically what happens with invasive plants is they will completely overwhelm a pond or a landscape and that's all you have is that invasive species uh, you know the best way to uh, identify beneficial plants versus invasive plants there are a variety of excellent resources and uh, tools uh, identification books out there or again you can talk to uh, some professionals like those at Solo Two Lake Management and we can typically make a good identification in the field. Or, or I'm going to go off script for a second. Are invasive weeds uh, typically native or non-native or, or could they be either? Most of the time when you say invasives you're generally referring to a, a plant that uh, is from somewhere else and is now living here. So it's it's a true uh, non-native. Um, <clears throat> when you talk about true plants that want to live here, you generally say indigenous, they've been here. Um, invasive plants generally are not from the area, although in some cases even beneficial plants or native plants can become invasive. They can take over areas where uh, you know, you don't want them. And in that instance, they would be considered invasive. Right. Okay. Uh, what are the dangers of nuisance and invasive weed growth, especially in community lakes and stormwater management ponds? Sure. Um, so I kind of talked about monocultures and what a lot of invasive plants will do. They'll choke out all the beneficial plants. And then you're left with a variety of problems if you only have invasive plants. Um, it's generally not suitable for a lot of um, flora and fauna to live in if you only have one invasive plant. Um, in ponds, for instance, if it's a particular invasive um, emergent plant or floating aquatic weed, they can uh, overshade the pond, they can reduce, um, dissolve the oxygen and uh, reduce you know, the good habitat for fish and macroinvertebrates to live in. How can a community safely eradicate and prevent undesirable aquatic plants in their lakes and ponds? It would probably start with good identification and kind of understanding all the different tools uh, available for eradicating those plants. Certain invasive plants can be relatively simple to eradicate, either through harvesting or some herbicide applications, and it can be done in a relatively short amount of time. Other invasive plants, uh, the Phragmites for instance, has uh, extremely hardy plant and in some cases depending on infestation can take several years to eradicate so in that case again I would recommend uh, consulting a professional uh, like those at Solitude Lake Management and um, you know develop a plan of attack for invasive plant control. Are most of the methods to eradicate those undesirable plants chemical based or are there natural methods or just physically removing the plants? All of those would be options. Again, it depends on species. Certainly herbicide applications can be very helpful and effective on many of the plants or invasive plants that you want to uh, eliminate, uh, but that's not the only strategy available. 
it really is budget driven and um, you know how quickly your, your your goal would be for eradication um, so things like harvesting or mowing um, can can be supplemental to herbicide applications and I assume you would agree that uh, the use of herbicides especially you know chemicals that are not natural should not be done they should be done by a professional especially in a sensitive water environment where you could accidentally kill everything yeah that's absolutely true um, first and foremost in most of the states especially here in Pennsylvania uh, permitting through the state of Pennsylvania is a requirement for the use of aquatic use herbicides and then um, having a professional like a licensed applicator to do the applications would be highly recommended um, so yeah, you want to make sure you know what you're doing or those that you're working with know what they're doing with things like herbicides or algicides. Yeah, I, I could easily see a, a good intended person wanting to save their community some money and deciding to spray themselves. Um, and that could quickly turn into, a, a, I guess, a, unintended consequences. So they should consult uh, sure. professionals for that. You know, you obviously have potential for drift uh, when using herbicides or algicides, not hitting your target. Uh, you have to consider irrigation. You know, what are you putting in the pond or lake and is water being drawn from that lake or pond and being put somewhere else? You have to understand some restrictions like that. Right. Let's talk about erosion control, which seems to be a problem in a, in a lot of uh, aquatic areas. Um, when are erosion control solutions needed and when can you tell that it's time to repair the shoreline? I'd say as quickly as possible for both instances. Correcting or identifying erosion can be very simple. It's as soon as you can see exposed soil uh, along the banks or leading into a bank on a steep slope. And correcting it as quickly as possible is going to be the most effective and less costly. What, what do you suggest? techniques for erosion, um, you know, rocks, riprap, trees, are they good solutions for erosion? So first I like to talk to folks about beneficial plantings and development of riparian buffers around the water body. Uh, they can be one of your first and least expensive ways to um, uh, eliminating or um, preventing erosion from occurring. So beneficial plants around the body water, in the water, along the banks, uh, they, the, those root masses can help stabilize that soil and keep the soil together. They can help to filter the water out before entering into the pond, you know, slowing down the velocity as, pond, as water is entering the pond. So beneficial plants would be a first one. Trees typically are not recommended in stormwater ponds. They can have a place around lakes or ponds, but trees, you generally want to keep trees away from any structural components of either a lake, pond, or stormwater facility. Things like an outlet or an embankment, not a good idea to have trees around those areas. Riprap, you know, it has its place. Rock, um, armoring and banks can be helpful. I don't love the look of it and it can get costly both with installation and with maintenance. Um, there are some really nice new technologies out there for re-establishing lakes, ponds, and stormwater shorelines. Uh, SOX, S-O-X, is a technology that Solitude offers to their clients. It's a wonderful new um, 
woven fabric uh, that can be placed on eroded shorelines, quickly seeded, sodded, or or uh, developing uh, beneficial plants in the area to reestablish eroded shorelines. So one of the things that uh, happens often in, in communities where they have lakes, especially lakes that's an amenity where there might be things like boating and docks and fishing, swimming, etc., beaches, um, property owners may not want the community association telling them what they can do with their property. So in terms of erosion control, and shoreline management, how do you how do you present that to owners who might be a little bit reluctant? Sure, I would say um, identifying shoreline erosion when it's in its infancy is going to save the community, a homeowner, uh, time and money uh, to correct it when it's very minimal. So. You know, inspecting your shorelines even on a monthly basis and correcting any erosion uh, very quickly uh, would always be uh, very recommended. Okay. Well, John, thanks for taking the time today to talk with our listeners about sustainable strategies to care for lakes and ponds. I think this is great information for our listeners and for our members. Those of you who may want more information on this topic can visit Solitude Lake Management online at www.solitudelakemanagement.com. And for more resources on this and other topics regarding the management or governance of your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thank you for listening.